David says, I will extol you, my God, O King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you. I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. And Father, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you that you are a great God and you've manifested that in so many ways, sending to us your son Jesus, revealing yourself to us in him. Lord, in your mighty works, the ways that you've manifested who you are to us and giving us this great book, Lord, the word of God and its truths and promises and the ways that it speaks to us in a living and powerful ways your spirit has inspired and recorded it for us. And so we ask this morning, help us now, Lord, as we continue in our worship. You know what each of us in this room needs. We ask you to give us that measure of your grace to have an ear to hear what your spirit would say to this part of your church. And as always, Lord, we, we don't want to hear wise or persuasive words of a man. We want to experience the demonstration of your spirit and power speaking to our hearts what we personally need to hear in a direct and personal way. So bless your word we ask together, believing you will, in Jesus' wonderful name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So maybe this last week for you in what you went through perhaps wasn't the greatest week. Honestly, maybe even the last month or perhaps even maybe the last season or even the last year. Maybe it hasn't been the greatest week or greatest month or greatest season. But the good thing is this, is even if your week wasn't great, God is still great. And even if the last season hasn't been so great, God is still great. Uh, maybe you're here this morning and your financial system or financial situation isn't too great. Well, that's okay because God's still great. Maybe your marriage isn't that great. That's okay because God is still great. Maybe your situation isn't so great or maybe honestly you're not doing so great spiritually. Even if you're not doing great spiritually, that's okay because God is still great. In fact, the Bible tells us that even when we are faithless, he remains faithful and he can't deny himself. And it's a wonderful thing to be able to realize the greatness of God and to realize that because God is great, even as we read in our first few verses this morning, therefore he's greatly to be praised. You know, the Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 4 that in the eternal realm, which those of us who are believers in Jesus Christ will one day step into as we cross the veil into eternity, that around the throne of God there, it tells us they do not rest. The idea is they don't cease. There's never a break, a, a departing time. Okay, the worship service is over and let's kind of go back to what we do in everyday life. And it says that they do not rest day or night there around the throne of God to praise and to worship God. So that is continually and constantly without ceasing, they're expressing the worthiness of God, the greatness of God, the focus of all those in eternity. Listen, the focus of all in eternity is not on each other. It's not on themselves. Their focus is on the greatness of the almighty God and the incredible Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that is in their midst. And I don't know about you, but that's one of the many things about heaven that somewhat is attractive to me, that no one in heaven is going to be examining other people. 
You know, no one in heaven is going to be concerned about what somebody else is doing or what somebody else did. No one in heaven is going to be speculating about what someone else is doing or criticizing what someone else is doing. No one in heaven is concerned about anyone else and no one in heaven as well, the Bible indicates, is really, for that matter, concerned about themselves either. Nobody's absorbed with themselves in heaven. Nobody in heaven is impressed with himself. Nobody in heaven is uh, you know, overly discouraged about how horrible of a person they are. They're not self-deprecating and, oh, woe is me, and I'm this, and I'm not that. No one in heaven is concerned about their circumstances. How wonderful it will be to not be thinking about your situation or worried about your circumstance and what hasn't happened yet or, or why isn't this this way when I really like it to be this way. None of that exists in heaven. Everyone in the eternal realm around heaven's throne is focused on the Lord, upon the greatness of the Lord and who he is and all they can continue to do is give glory and praise to God and they never grow tired of it They never become distracted of it. In fact, let me read to you briefly before we jump into Psalm 145 together as it talks about the praise and the worship of God. Let me read to you from Revelation 4 and 5, as I mentioned, some of what we're going to hear when we're in heaven and participate in as we're there. It tells us around the throne of God, the angels and the saints are saying things like this, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created worthy is the lamb who was slain blessing and honor and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever you start to get the idea of what the scripture reveals to us of the eternal realm and heaven's throne that praising God listen is the number one pastime in heaven praising God and worshiping God is the number one pastime in heaven so let me say therefore I think that praising God and worshiping God is honestly a great way for us to pass the time until we get to heaven if that's the number one pastime in heaven and predominantly what people are doing worshiping and praising God then let me just say every day of my life and every opportunity I have to assemble with the people of God the best way to pass my time for us to pass the time until we get into heaven is worshiping God is praising the Lord and focusing upon his greatness and and this morning may the holy spirit help us as we meditate upon psalm 145 and the theme of praising god may the holy spirit help us to really in some ways maybe take the focus off ourself or our circumstances or others and be more fixated on just the greatness of god and the fact that he is worthy of our worship and it's a great way to pass the time psalm 145 you may note at the very top of it before the verses begin it tells us a psalm of david this is the last psalm that we have attributed to david we don't know if he wrote psalm uh, 146 through 50 for certain but we know this is the last psalm that we have indicated that's from david and it's a psalm you'll notice that's strictly of praise 
A lot of David's Psalms, he's crying out to the Lord about what's going on in his life. Maybe he's making a request of God. He's praying and crying out. But this is a psalm strictly of praise. And one thing that can be said of David, we've seen in our midweek study, looking at his life and so forth, that could be said of David is David was a worshiper. I mean, let me just say, David certainly did not have everything together in his life. He was a man, the Bible says, who was a man after God's own heart. And, and David made his mistakes. David had his shortcomings. We've seen some of them already. We'll see more of them. David even had some really great failures in his life, some major mistakes. David's life was filled with difficulties. He didn't have a picture-perfect life. He had some real high points, and God used him in some great ways as a king, and as a psalmist, and a military leader, and a shepherd king for the people. But David's life was also filled with challenges and difficulties, hardships, uh, it seems difficulty in his family life. He had hardships with Saul harassing him and driving him out in the wilderness in 10 years running like a fugitive and living in caves. And so David's life was far from a picture perfect life. It had its challenges. But David seemed to be someone who just had the ability to find such pleasure in just who God is. And whether it was when he was a shepherd boy out in the fields looking up at the stars in the night and just saying, Lord, you know, what is man that you're mindful of him? When I consider the, you know, greatness of that, you know, that song we sang this morning that kind of reflects upon that from Psalm 8 there. You know, when I consider the greatness of you, what is man that you're even mindful of him? And so many times you see David just uh, being an individual who found such astonishment in just who God was. And God's ways and what he would do and how he would work. He was just awestruck by the person of God and who he was and his nature and his attributes. He was astonished and so impressed by the ways that God would work and the things that he would do. And so often we find David, and that's why I believe he became the predominant psalmist, someone who just could not contain himself from always bragging on God. He just always wanted to talk about God, something about God's nature and God's work and God's ways because he was so impressed and he delighted in adoring and praising God. And Psalm 145 is a reflection of that very reality. In fact, one commentator said in Jewish practice, this Psalm, Psalm 145, was recited twice in the morning and once in the evening. Because it was just a psalm of praise. And so it seemed to have become a customary thing where the Jews would recite this psalm beginning their day two times and then they would reflect upon it again as they went to bed in the evening. So let's do that together. If you draw your attention with me to the first verse where David says, I will extol you, my God, O King, and I will bless your name forever and ever, every day. I will bless you and I will praise your name forever and ever. Notice in verse 1 and 2 here, you kind of sense a little bit of repetition. Here we see two things, particularly we see David's desire to worship the Lord. And I think we also see here very clearly sort of his dedication that he was going to worship the Lord no matter what was going on in his experiences. It's very evident as you see David's heart sort of just overflowing as he begins this psalm. He uses different words describing worship of God. He says, I will extol you. That is to exalt and to lift up the Lord. He says, I'll extol you, my God, O King. I'll bless your name forever and ever. And then again, he says, I will bless you and praise your name 
forever and ever. And notice it's this, this stemmed from the fact that who God was in David's life was a personal thing. You notice he doesn't say, I will extol you because you are God and you are a king. He knew that, that, that God was who he was, but he calls him my God. He doesn't just say, you are God. You're a great God or you are the Lord or you are the king. And David, remember, was a king himself, but he knew who the real king was. And it's what kept him humble in his humanity as a king himself that he realized, look, I'm not the king. The real king sits upon the throne. And David had this perspective. And more than that, there was clearly a personal connection David had to God. See, the reality is this. Just like Thomas, remember, when Thomas saw the wounds in Jesus' hands, that when he saw the passion marks of Christ, that Jesus had died for him and that Jesus had resurrected for him, when Thomas saw that for the first time himself, he said, my Lord and my God. And at that moment, there was something very personal. And for David here, he calls him my God. And this morning I ask you, do you lack a desire in your heart to worship God? Is there something that's missing in regards to your own desire and motivation that, that you can worship God out of duty? That is, okay, well, I, yeah, I mean, I can do that. I know that's what we do Sunday. We, we sing a few of those songs about God and I can do that. And it's good for everybody to have a little religion in their life and right and, and perhaps some of us have all done that and some of us many in the world are, are still doing that they go to church as an observance and, and and yeah everybody should have a little spirituality it's good for our family it's good for us it's good for me personally and 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 maybe we can worship god out of duty but do we worship god out of desire do you desire to worship god do you come to church because you want to come to church do you turn on worship music in your car and sing at the top of your lungs and the person next to you thinks you're singing the newest rap song and really getting into it and the reality is they had any clue that you were singing, how great is our God? And this thing, Wow, that person's... And do you worship God because you desire to worship God, that you're directed by a desire? I tell you, what that stems from is the personal connection that he's your God that he's become personal to you, that Jesus is your Savior, that he's your Lord, and you've had a personal experience. That's what directs the desire, like David here, because God was personal to him. This morning, is God personal to you? Is he personal to you? Has he become personal and real and meaningful to you in an intimate way? Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? Do you just know he's Jesus, or do you know Jesus? Is he your Lord? Has he become your Savior? Because that will stimulate a desire to worship. But beyond that, you notice that David makes a repetitive statement. Four times he says in these two verses, I will. He says, I will extol you, God. I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will. And then again, I will praise your name. David's indicating there's a measure of dedication as well in his worship that he was devoted to worship the Lord. And I think this stems with the fact that sometimes when life's hard 
and things are difficult or maybe our moods are here or our feelings are there, the reality is is sometimes it is a measure of dedication to say because he is my God, no matter how blue I feel right now or, or, or how hard my circumstances will be right now, I will worship him. I will praise him. I will bless him because he deserves my worship. Because of who he is, he's great. And he's going to say greatly to be praised. There was this aspect of David's life where he determined no matter what's going on in my life, no matter how I feel, I will worship the Lord. Because you know as well as I do, if you were to be honest with yourself, sometimes our moods are here and there and our feelings are here and there and circumstances go on in our life and, and the reality is, listen, I wish I could tell you I was so spiritual that I wake up every day and, and I am just so spirit-filled that I desire to want to just sing a worship song to the Lord and that's the first thing that happens in my being and, and I want to read the Bible and pray. But sometimes it's a, I will I will. I wish I could tell you, quite frankly, that uh, you know, every single Wednesday night and every single Sunday morning, I wake up and I say, I, I want to go to church. I want to go worship the Lord today. Because there are times, quite frankly, when I prefer to sleep in. I don't know if that would be a good idea, being the pastor, to oversleep. That can be, can be a little bit rude and, and out of tune there. But there are times when I realize, look, I'm a Christian. I'm not going to go just because I have a, a responsibility or a calling. I will worship the Lord because He's my God. And he saved me. And he's worked in my life and he's done good things. And because who he is, I will. I will determine to do it. It's kind of the same way how if you're someone who's into exercise or physical fitness, don't give me this nonsense that you honestly every time want to go to the gym. Or every day you come home after you're tired from working. I, I feel like working out every single time. No, there's a part of you, whether it's dieting or exercise, that you say, I will eat correctly because I'm trying to maintain a diet. Or I will go to the gym or I will go for my run. And you do it out of a determination. And look, if we do that for those things, or I will do my homework. I know that happens sometimes. I will do it. Don't want to do it. But I will, I will go to work. If we do that, for, why is it as Christians that we struggle with the concept of, no, I will, I will. God help us as Christians not to be so wishy-washy in regards to, well, why did, I, I didn't read because I didn't feel like it, or I didn't pray because I don't feel like it, or I don't go to church because I, I just didn't feel like it that day. God help us to be a little more mature than that. If we would be dedicated to other things, Yes, the desire should prompt us, but there should be a dedication where we make a conscious decision to worship God. And David recognized, he says, I will worship you. He says two times, verse 1 and 2, worship and praise, he mentions forever and ever. I will praise you forever and ever. David understood eternity was a reality, that life was going to go beyond this present world and last forever and ever, that there's an eternal dimension. And because David knew his God... He knew that he, when he died, because he had personal relationship with the Lord, would be in the presence of the Lord. That we are going to be somewhere forever and ever, either in the presence of the Lord or eternally separated from the Lord in hell. But David knew, I'm going to the presence of the Lord and my praise and worship now will continue forever and ever. That it was going to be his occupation for all of eternity. And that's why I think David says as well in verse 2, therefore every day I will bless you. 
In other words, I sense that David's saying, because I know I'm going to praise and worship the Lord forever and ever, and that's what I'm going to do forever and ever, David says, I might as well get ready for eternity. I might as well prepare now for what I'm going to do forever and ever. So therefore, every day, might as well start practicing, I sense David saying. Every day, therefore, I will bless you. The idea is every day, David said, I can find something. I can find something to bless God for every day. I mean, even in the worst of days or the worst of situations or the worst of hours of our lives, isn't it so wonderful if you know God, you can still find something to celebrate. You can still find something to, to be thankful for. Lord, I, I bless you that, uh, that I live in America. And in comparison to 75% of the rest of the world, Lord, Lord I actually have some food in my house. I actually got plumbing. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I've been places where there's not plumbing. Have you? Lord, I got running water. I have relative safety or Lord, I have my health or my family. We can, or, or if nothing, Lord, I thank you. You're a part of my life. So every day we can find something to bless God for and we should. It does us well. Psalm 103, he says, bless the Lord, O my soul. Forget not all his benefits. So we know we're going to worship God forever. We should engage in worshiping God every day. Therefore, it's what prepares us for eternity. David then says in verse 3, beginning to discuss some of the reasons of God's worthiness to be praised. He first of all says right out of the gate, verse 3, great is the Lord. The, the word great there, the Hebrew term great, of great is the Lord, could mean large in size, highly valuable or very important large in size highly valuable and very important that hebrew term could be translated and was used in those ways and boy is that not a perfect description of how great is the lord how strong and massive and mighty the, how big our god is he is great the greatness of our god the, the god who says spans the heavens with it with his hand the God who could just speak into existence massive stars and solar systems and spoke forth creation. This incredible, powerful, mighty, awesome God that we have. He's great. He's magnificent in, in his power and his greatness of who he is. He's highly valuable. He's the most valuable thing we have. And he's so important. The, the term could also be translated distinguished. And the idea is distinguished. When somebody's a distinguished guest, they're, they're a special guest. And the Bible tells us that the Lord is holy. They say in heaven, holy, holy, holy. The word holy means set apart. And the concept there when it refers to God as holy is the fact that that's what God is. God is set apart. He's distinguished. He's holy. The idea is he's unlike any other. Do you realize that? There is God and then there's everything else. There is creator and everything else that has been created. So God is unlike any other thing, any other person. He's distinguished. He's holy. He's set apart. He's unique in all of who he is and his attributes and his ways and his power. And, and David here says, great, great is the Lord. And therefore, because of that, as if we needed an incentive, he says, therefore, he is greatly to be praised. He's saying, if the Lord is as great as he is, certainly there's a lot of great reasons to praise him. He is greatly to be praised. There's a reason for that. Psalm 150 verse 2 says, Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Because he is so great, 
That's why he's greatly to be praised, why he should be worshipped and praised with our words and our songs and the expression of our hearts as we give him worship. And then he says in the end of verse 3, a beautiful statement regarding God's greatness. Great is the Lord. And then he says, and his greatness, should you begin to contemplate it, seek it out, understand how great he is. He says his greatness is unsearchable, unsearchable. The idea there of searching indicates to to explore, to discover, or to investigate something. And David is saying, even when we try and explore how great God is, and we try and investigate and, and, and learn more of how great he is, his love, his holiness, his patience, his kindness, his power, all the aspects of his person and the ways he works. And he says, as we seek God, he says, God, he's limitless. He's inexhaustible. He is a a life study and and a pursuit that will never become boring. You can never, in a sense, come to the end or the limits of God. There's always more to discover about God. There's always more to learn about Him and a relationship that never need get boring in any way because there's always something new about God to discover. In fact, for all of eternity, Ephesians 2 says that for the ages to come, we'll be learning the unsearchable riches of his grace and kindness in Christ Jesus. For all of eternity. That's one of the reasons why in heaven you may read the the, the statements of what they say on the throne of God and you think, why do they keep saying the same thing? Isn't that going to get boring? It's like they sing the same worship song again and again and again. Because every time they look to the throne, they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And the reason is, is because every time they look to the throne of God, as they look upon God, they see some new facet of God's nature or his person or something about him that they've never seen before in all their human life and all their eternal existence. That again, they see something so marvelous about God, they go, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And for all of eternity, God is so great and incredible, not only now, but for all of eternity, we'll never come to the end of discovering how great he is. There's always new things to discover. Job 5 tells us this, but as for me, I would seek God, and to God I would commit my cause, who does great things and unsearchable, marvelous things without number. It then tells us in Job chapter 9 verse 10 that Job himself said of God in the midst of his horrible suffering, he said this, that God does great things past finding out, yes, wonders without number. Paul writing to the Romans after giving such great amounts of doctrine then said this as an expression of praise because of what he believed in God's plan of salvation. He said, oh, the depth of both the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. How amazing to think his ways past finding out that God has revealed a lot to us. He revealed himself to us in Jesus. If we want to know what God is like, Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And God has revealed himself to us personally and clearly, sufficiently in his son, Jesus Christ, but yet to realize there is so much more that God could reveal. And so much God has revealed to us in his word of himself, but yet God is so great, so great. His greatness is unsearchable, completely unsearchable. I love how Paul even speaks to the Ephesians in chapter three where he he says, I pray that you might know the height and the width and the depth and the breadth of the love of Christ. And then he says, which passes knowledge. It's as if Paul is saying, oh, I want you to know how deep and wide and incredibly 
you know, to the extent of the love of Jesus. And he says, I pray you might know it to the greatest degrees. But he says, honestly, his love is so great, you couldn't even find it out. Even if you tried to go to the furthest extent, you think, wow, I can't believe the Lord loves me this much when I've gone so low. I can't believe he still loves me. And, and he says, oh, he loves you more than that. If you knew how much he loved you, it'd blow your mind. It, it doesn't all work in these little finite brains. That's why I'm convinced we need eternal bodies when we get into the eternal dimension. Because these bodies in this little finite mind aren't capable of comprehending the greatness. We need an eternal body. We need the, the ability to actually begin to fully recognize how great the Lord truly is. He says in verse 4, And one generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. So there it speaks of the transmission from the older generation to the younger generation. He says, one generation, David says, should be praising the works of God to another generation and declaring to them God's mighty acts. That those of us who are older, and listen, when I say older, that means many things because no matter how old you are this morning in the sanctuary, there's always a generation that's younger than you. So whether you're 70 years old or 50 years old or whether you're 30 years old or whether you're 15 years old or, or, or 13 years old, there's a generation that's right behind you. And God says one generation should be declaring the awesome acts of God to the next generation. That is, they should be experiencing things with God in their life, seeing God's faithfulness, seeing how God provided or how God answered a prayer, or how God worked in their life personally. And as we experience those things, we should then be testifying to the next generation, to those right below us, whether it's our own children raising them in the ways of the Lord. Listen, there's no greater thing you can do as a parent than to be experiencing God in your life and telling your children, listen, let me tell you what the Lord did in my life. Let me tell you the times when he answered this prayer, he worked in this way. And, and as we share with the next generation, what that does is it, it then stimulates faith in their heart to believe what God can do for them. And to believe that this God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and Mike is, is that, that Malachi says that God changes not, then that next generation says, wow, according to what they're saying God did for them, I wonder what works God will do for me. I wonder how God could work in my life. And this is why I think it is so pertinent to transmit what God has done to testify from generation to generation. This is why we should be investing in young people. This is why it's important to my heart to spend time with young adults and teenagers and kids because the church is one generation from extinction, we often say. And God help us to be experiencing the works of God and telling the mighty acts of the Lord to the next generation. He says, verse 5, And I will meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty and your wondrous works. So David says, myself as well, I will meditate. The word meditate means to ponder, to just take time and think, to just be quiet, alone somewhere. Well, it's, a, it's a lost, if you would have it in our generation today because we have so much stimulus. You know, meditation today is this, Right? I mean, I just flew back and forth to California the last couple of days, bringing my daughter out there to Bible college. And you just you, know, you look around an airport or you look on the airport. Well, of course, the airplane has to be in airplane mode, but certainly in the airport, people don't talk to each other. 
And they used to, when I traveled years years ago, they used to read stuff like books and stuff. You know, it looked like they were actually... Like, now it's just, there's so much stimulus, we can't, like, it's almost like anxiety if we don't just check the next thing or something. But to just sit once in a while and actually meditate. To just, it means just think, just ponder. Not have to see something, re just ponder and think. And there's something very valuable at times. You take a phrase out of the Bible. Great is the Lord. Oh, I can't memorize Bible verses. Here's your first Bible verse. You're going to memorize. Ready? Great is the Lord. And just walk with that. Think. Just go walk on the beach. Walk around your body. And just think about, Lord, great. How, how are you great? And think about how the Lord is great. And just meditate upon that and the value that that brings. David said, I'll, I'll meditate on who you are, the splendor of your majesty. And he says, on your wondrous works. He's saying, I'm also going to think about the things that you've done, God. Your wonder, I'll just think about your wondrous works. Think of who he is. Think of what he does. Verse 6, he says, and men shall speak of the might of your awesome acts. And I, he says, I'm going to participate. I, David says, will declare your greatness. They shall utter the memory of your great goodness and shall sing of your righteousness. I love that. David says, this is what men shall be doing, what they should be doing. They should be speaking to one another about the greatness of God, about his awesome acts and, and uttering the memory of his great goodness in conversation. You know, the picture there to me is what uh, is referred to in Malachi chapter 3, verse 16. You might want to jot in your notes a very beautiful verse. It tells us this in Malachi 3, 16. It says, Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and meditate on his name. So Malachi chapter 3 tells us that God listens. He bends down his ear and he loves to listen to people on earth talking about him. To men and women speaking about the Lord to one another. And it says he actually bends down, he listens, and he, he so enjoys it, he actually writes a book of remembrance. It, we talk about prayer journals. This is kind of like God's praise journal. His praise journal. And, and, and you can almost imagine, do you hear that? Son, do you hear that? They're, they're talking about us. And I can imagine, I'm a father, if I came around the corner, it's happened, thankfully, a few times, if I came around the corner and I overheard my children having a conversation and they were actually saying something good about me, something nice about me, oh, my dad, he's, do you know how good that, wow, I feel so good to hear my child saying something good about me. Can you imagine for God? Because, listen, on this earth, we talk a lot about ourselves. And unfortunately, we talk a lot about each other. And I'm going to add a disclaimer, even in the church. Oh, it's just a prayer request. I'm just sharing this with you to pray. Uh-huh. Just a prayer request. We've got to be praying for this person. We've got to be praying for this situation. We talk a lot about ourselves. We talk a lot about each other. You know what the greatest thing we could do is spend more time just talking about God. Having a conversation. Would you read this? What did the Lord do in your life this week? Let me tell you what, what this, and the Lord did, the, and just talking about the Lord. Oh, the Lord is so great. I was reading this. That, and, and when we do that, God is blessed by that. He listens and he's, oh, wow. Let, we got to get record of that. And, and, and he's, you know, Gabriel, write that down. Oh, my, get that book. And there's this book of remembrance in heaven from every time it says, when the people of God 
speak about the Lord. And so David says, I want to participate in this. I'm going to declare his greatness. David perhaps knew about that book. So he says, men shall speak of you and I'm going to make sure that I get my name in that record book. You know, we're not making any other record book, but he says, I want to get in that record book. I'll declare your greatness and utter the memory of your great goodness. Verse eight, the Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and great in mercy. The Lord is good to all and his tender mercies over all his works. Boy, chew on that. He just describes more of the attributes of it. He says the Lord is gracious. That means that, that he's kind. He, the Lord is gracious. Grace is undeserved kindness or favor. The Lord is just gracious in who he is. That indicates that he wants to bless us, not because we earn his blessing or we deserve his blessing. He wants to be gracious to us simply because he is gracious. It's just who he is. So you can walk through this week and expect, listen, you can expect God to bless you, not because you're presumptuous or think something special. You can expect God to bless you because he just likes to bless people. And that's not presumptuous. That's actually called faith. It's called believing what the word of God says. The Lord is great. This took a while for me to really process. And I wish I could say I was further along because we live in such a works reward type mentality in this world. You, know, you don't do this. You don't get paid. You don't do that. You don't get respect. You, but God just blesses people because he's gracious. He's just gracious in our failures. And he's gracious because he just loves to be kind and do gracious, good, kind things in our lives. It says he's full of compassion. That is, he has sympathy and empathy. He's a compassionate God. Jesus manifested that so many times where he would be moved with compassion. Remember Mark chapter one, that leper came to Jesus and, and, and he was in this horrible condition. He came to Jesus and he says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And it says, Jesus moved with compassion, touched him and said, I am willing, be cleansed. And he healed him miraculously. And our Lord, a compassionate God, again, he's, he's not this judge up in the sky or this you know, you know, angry, out of control policeman who's just saying, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, you go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. But yet many people have this concept of God. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He understands our weakness and our frame and our failures and, and he, so he's compassionate with us and he's slow to anger. He doesn't get angry quickly. He does get angry when necessary, righteously, but it takes God a while to get angry. The idea is God's not edgy. He's not moody. Aren't you glad he doesn't, he doesn't get irritable some days? I mean, think of what God has complete control over and what happens on this planet. If anybody had a right to be a little irritable once in a while, I would think God would, but he's slow to anger. It takes a lot to get God angry because he's slow to anger because he's so patient and kind and gracious and, and merciful and compassionate. And it says he's great in mercy. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. Some translations render that his unfailing love. He's great in unfailing love. And verse nine, he says, the Lord is not only good, but look what he says. They're good to all, to all. Jesus said that the Father in heaven makes his reign and the Son come down upon the just and the unjust. That is, God is good to people even who hate God, who don't like God. God is, because he's just good to all, because his nature is goodness. So he's good to all. Think of how many times God was good to you when you weren't doing so good. Maybe before you were a Christian. There are plenty of times God should not have been good to me. 
but he's good to all because he's, he's a God that is overflowing with goodness in his tender mercies and works. He says, verse 10, All your works shall praise you, O Lord, and your saints shall bless you. Notice, all your works, the way God works, would cause praise to be rendered towards him. Now that tells me something, very insightful as well. All your works shall praise you. That indicates to me this. Listen, when God is truly working and it's a work of the Spirit of the Lord, guess what people do as a result? They praise God. They glorify God and they bless God. All his works bring praise and glory to him. When Jesus would work, people would glorify God. And when we participate and have the privilege to be used by God, when we work for God, it should cause people not to glorify us, but to praise God. Jesus said, let your good works, your light so shine before men that people would see your good works and what? Glorify your Father in heaven. So our good works should be done in a way and in a attitude of being sensitive to, I don't want people to glorify me for this. I want people to walk away after any service I do for the Lord and be doing the Malachi 3 thing, saying, oh man, isn't God incredible? Man, God really spoke to me this morning. Not, wow, I mean, that ministry was great or that worship service was great or that music was great or all that message wasn't, no, I want people, God really spoke to me, man. Wow, and, and that people would be impressed with God more. So he says, your works shall praise you and your saints shall bless you. I love that. Your saints shall bless you. Often we want God to bless us, right? He says there, your saints shall bless you. Do you realize this morning that you can actually bless God? Does God bless you? Certainly. But you and I can actually, as his saints, his servants, we can bless him. How awesome. We can bless God. How? By worshiping him by giving him the worship and the praise that he's worthy of with our lives. We can bless his heart in that way. They shall speak, verse 11 again, notice, of the glory of your kingdom and talk of your power to make known to the sons of men his mighty acts, again, a reference to his power, and the glorious majesty of his kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. So again, David references, if we can't celebrate anything in this earthly existence, you know, we can't find something in our life. And, and he says, David says, but oh man, we have his kingdom, his kingdom. And there in verses 11 through 13, he starts to talk about the everlasting kingdom of God, that there's a kingdom coming, the kingdom of God. And he says, we can rejoice in that and the power that God's going to bring when he comes back and, and he takes his rightful place upon the throne of this earth and Jesus rules in righteousness and his everlasting kingdom begins. Imagine the kingdom of God. Imagine a, a, an existence where there's no hate and no bigotry. There's no abortion clinics. There's no divorce courts. There's no need for a police department or for pastors. And there's just love and peace and, and, and the harmony in the existence of the kingdom of God because the king of kings is ruling. And no more pain or sickness or sorrow or suffering. No more existence of any of these things. His kingdom is something that we can talk of and meditate upon. He says, verse 14, the Lord upholds all who fall. Have you ever fallen before? The Lord upholds. The idea is he sustains and supports all who fall. David fell a few times in his life. He's probably writing this at the end of his life. And David knew, yeah, but when I fell, the Lord caught me. 
He didn't let me fall all the way. He upheld me even when I fell. It tells us in uh, uh, Proverbs 24, 16, for a righteous man may fall seven times and yet rise again. David wrote in Psalm 34, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. He delights in his way and though he fall, he shall not utterly be cast down for the Lord upholds him with his hand. How wonderful. Do we all fall? Certainly, we all trip at times. Sometimes we just stumble. Other times we face plant really hard, fracture our whole face and take seven other people down because we tripped so bad. But the Lord upholds us. Even if everybody else, man, the Lord says, come on. So you, that's all right. You fell. And he puts his arm around us. You know, I was blessed to have a a father like that when I would play sports and you you lose a game or something. He puts his arm around us. All right, it's just one game. It was one game. Get your chin up. Come on. It was one game. So you lost the game. It's just one game. Let's, let's, let's do it again. Let's get back on the field again. And the Lord does that. He upholds us when we fall. He raises up those who are bowed down, whether we're bowed down, discouraged because of our failure, or the Hebrew indicates bowed down under a heavy load. Just under a heavy load. We're weighted down under something. And, and, and maybe this morning there's just the weight of the world on your shoulders and yet it says he comes in and he raises up those who are bowed down he lifts up the chin of the one whose head is hanging down he strengthens those who are feeble and weak and undergirds them with his strength I love what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11 remember Jesus said come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I'll give you rest and he said it's a rest for your soul a rest for the weariness of the inward life He says, verse 15, the eyes of all look expectantly to you. Hey, you can look to God with expectation, looking expectantly to the Lord. And you give them their food in season. He's a great provider. You open your hand, David says, and satisfy the desire of every living thing. Do you realize that? All God has to do because he controls everything is just open his hand. And no matter what you need, he can supply it whether it's finances or help or, or even just some desire, some longing. He can open his hand. At any moment, he can just open. Oh, I don't know how it's going to work. It's just so impossible. And, and this longing is never going to be. No, he can open his hand and satisfy your desire. How wonderful to know that the Lord can give us satisfaction. And let me just say this this morning. If you begin to experience letting God satisfy your desires and meet your needs and, and, and look to him expectantly, the wonderful thing is if God's satisfying your desire with his perfection and his provision and his power, you don't have to have perfect people in your life. You don't have to have perfect people. It lowers your expectations of everybody else needing to make you happy and meet your needs and fulfill you because look, God I look to God for my expectation. He satisfies my desire. Look what David's going to go on to say in verse 17. He says, The Lord is righteous in all his ways. That is, he does everything right. He's gracious, which means he's overly kind in all his works. And the Lord is near to all who call upon him, to those who call upon him in truth. Is God distant and far away? Is God disconnected? Is God like a landlord who you pay them the rent, but then they never come around to take care of everything? I don't understand. I I pay him the rent, but they never do anything for me. God's not a distant disc. God is near, the Bible says, particularly to the brokenhearted, the Bible says. He's near to all who call upon him. You call upon the name of the Lord. 
He's near, ready to listen, to answer when you have a sincere heart. And what will he do? Verse 19, he will fulfill the desire of those who fear him and he will hear their cry and save them. He'll fulfill our desires. I love that. He will fulfill our desires. Some of you this morning, you have desires in your heart. The Bible says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Well, how does that work? Listen, let me, let me make this very simple for you. Here's how it works. Just start delighting in God. Stop thinking about your desire. And when I stop thinking of my desire and I just start delighting in God and enjoying God, then God puts his desires into your life and then the desires you have are God's desires and God goes, that's exactly what I wanted you to desire. There's your desire. And what a wonderful thing to realize that there are desires we at times have and God can fulfill them. And he says, verse 20, the Lord preserves, he keeps and protects those who love him. But all the wicked, notice, this is a part of God's greatness too. He will one day judge and destroy those who are wicked. So David says, my mouth shall speak of the praise of the Lord and all flesh shall bless his holy name forever and ever. David says, if I'm going to lead the way in anything, my mouth shall praise the Lord. And he says, the result is, verse 21, and all flesh will join me in praising the Lord. I love what David says. David says, no matter what else I do in my life, one thing I can always lead in, I'm going to lead in praising God. I'm going to lead in worshiping God. Because David, even as a leader, kind of stumbled and had some shortcomings which then didn't make him lead the best. But David said, I can always lead in this, even if I'm at my worst, by worshiping God, by putting people's attention upon God. And he says, I'll lead the way in this. I'm going to be a worshiper. And can I encourage you, this week, in the weeks ahead, take the lead be a worshiper. Spread, spread like contagious disease. Worship in God and let the Lord begin to work through that. Let's stand together. We'll pray and we'll enter into a song of worship as we contemplate the greatness of the Lord. Father, we thank you.